Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We are wise to put our trust in the Lord. We're wise to put our confidence in Him. And it doesn't mean that we won't go through struggles. It doesn't mean we won't go through trials. It doesn't mean that we won't at times be afflicted with sicknesses and those kinds of things. That's a reality. But regardless of that, trusting in the Lord through those things, that is our posture. That's our position as the people of God, to trust in Him. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 36 through 39. Now, here's Pastor Brian. He has set out to fight against you. So when he heard this, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, so just so we get what's going on here. So now the spokesman, he hears that the king, Sennacherib, he's been, he's been kind of turned in another direction. And now he's hearing that forces are coming against him from other places. And so he's leaving off. His intention is to lay siege to Jerusalem and to overthrow it. But now he's putting the brakes on that because he's got other business to tend to. He's got to fight these other battles. But now what he says he wants to basically warn Hezekiah not to trust in what's happening right now as though he's off the hook. He's basically saying, I got to go fight a few other battles, but I'm going to come back. That's what he's about to say here. So he says uh, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, in verse 10, don't let your God on whom you rely deceive you by promising that Jerusalem won't be handed over to the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the king of Assyria the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries. They completely destroyed them. Will you be rescued? Did the gods of the nations that my predecessors destroyed rescue them? Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the Edenites and Talassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena or Iva? So again, he's just threatening, saying, look, nobody's yet been able to escape us, and you're not going to escape us either. And so Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hand, read it, and then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. So here in verse 16, we have the prayer of Hezekiah. Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth. So Isaiah does exactly what we always need to do, especially when we go to prayer in a time of crisis or a time of distress. The first thing he does is, of course, he's addressing God, but he's, in a sense, he's reminding himself of who he's addressing He's reminding himself, God doesn't need to be reminded of who he is. He's the God who created the heaven and the earth. Of course, God knows all that. But Isaiah and those around him need to remember that. And thank God they wrote it down because we need to remember it too. Our God is the God who made the heaven and the earth. 
Our God is the creator of all things. Our God has all power, all wisdom. He has all understanding. He has all that we could ever need to succeed, to be secure, whatever the case is. And we always have to keep that in mind. As we're faced with a difficulty, as we're faced with a challenge, we have to remember who it is that we're calling upon to meet the challenge. And when we remember that whatever the challenge is, it's no match for God, that in and of itself brings us a degree of comfort, doesn't it? And so that's where Isaiah starts. And then he goes on, he says, he says, listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear all the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated all these countries and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made from wood and stone by human hands. So they have destroyed them. Now, Lord, our God, save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. I love the way Hezekiah says this here. He acknowledges, yes, they did. They conquered these nations. They defeated their gods. Their gods couldn't help them because their gods were not real gods. Uh, Hezekiah knows that. And of course, he reminds us of that here. And that's true in every case. The Lord is on the side of his people. And whatever other gods might be arrayed against us, they're not really gods. Whatever other forces, uh, they're no match for the Lord. And so Isaiah then comes back into the picture. The son of Amos sent a message to Hezekiah. Verse 21, the Lord, the God of Israel says, because you prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises you and scorns you. Daughter Jerusalem shakes her head behind your back. Who is it you have mocked and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. You have mocked the Lord through your servants. You have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I cut down its tallest cedars, its choice cypress trees. I came to its distant heights, its densest forests. I dug wells and drank water in foreign lands. I dried up all the streams of Egypt with the soles of my feet. Have you not heard? So this is the Lord now responding. First of all, this is the idea that the king has. I've done all of this stuff. I'm invincible. Have you not heard? I designed it long ago. I planned it in days gone by. I have now brought it to pass and you have crushed fortified cities into piles of rubble. Their inhabitants have become powerless, dismayed and ashamed. They are plants of the field, tender grass, grass on the rooftops, blasted by the east wind. God is saying, I did what you're taking credit for. You think that it was you who brought all of these victories to yourself? God is saying that he was actually the one who gave the victories to the king. But I know you're sitting down. I know you're going out 
you're coming in and you're raging against me. Because you're raging against me and your arrogance have reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you go back the way you came. So God says to the king, to Sennacherib, this is a great, great king in the ancient world. And at this time, he is basically the greatest king in the ancient world. And God says, I am going to lead you back to where you came from. And remember, he's already said he's going to go back to his own land and he's going to fall by the sword in his own land. And so now God is saying to this very arrogant man, I'm going to lead you back and I'm going to deal with you there. The arrogance of of Sennacherib, he's not the, the first nor the last arrogant ruler There have been many. There are many more that we read in the biblical account as we go through. And there are arrogant rulers in the world today. There are people who reject God. They deny that there is a God. They think because they have been able to gain power of whatever sort, they see themselves as invincible. And yet, as we're going to see here with the king of Assyria, it's not difficult for the Lord to deal with those kinds of people. And sometimes we wonder, like you think of all the people in history that have been like that and all the uh, misery they brought upon other human beings and so forth. And yet at the right point in time, uh, they meet their end. And that's what God is basically declaring to this man, Sennacherib now. So he gives him a sign, verse 30, this will be a sign for you. This year you will eat what grows on its own. And in the second year, what grows from that? But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah. So he's declaring Judah's going to survive. You're not going to wipe them out. They're going to take root downward and bear fruit upward. For the remnant will go out from Jerusalem and survivors from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. I love this. He will not enter this city, shoot an arrow here, come before it with a shield or build up a siege ramp against it. He will go back the way he came. He will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Now listen to this. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people got up the next morning, there were all dead bodies. So King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and left. He returned home and lived in Nineveh. So think about that, 185,000. That is a massive army. That is a, a huge, huge army. And the reason I point that out is because Look at the magnitude of the threat that was against Judah. And again, look at the unlikelihood of this is all going to be over before you know it. But that's exactly what happened. Because 185,000 of the best military men in the world were no match for the Lord himself. And we read here that the angel of the Lord went out and struck them down. And so as we see many times in scripture, what seems to be insurmountable, 
what seems to be impossible is not a problem for the Lord. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Even an army of 185,000 Assyrians. And so in one night, this is completely taken care of. The whole problem is solved simply in a night. That's how swiftly God can take care of things. So we are wise to put our trust in the Lord. We're wise to put our confidence in him. And it doesn't mean that we won't go through struggles. It doesn't mean we won't go through trials. It doesn't mean that we won't at times be afflicted with sicknesses and those kinds of things. That's a reality. But regardless of that, trusting in the Lord through those things, that is our posture. That's our position as the people of God, to trust in him. And so as we read on, he returned home to Nineveh. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nishrach, his sons, Adramelech and Sharazar, struck him down with a sword and escaped to the land of Ararat. Wow. Notice, he's in the house of his god. Remember his boast. His boast was basically, my God's greater than your God. My God's greater than all the gods because he gave me the victory over all of these other nations and he's going to give me the victory over Yahweh. But of course, his army's wiped out. He goes back home. He's in the house of his God and his God cannot protect him. And his own sons rise up against him and slay him. Very interesting. So this is the beginning of the end of the power of Assyria. So this great empire that ruled the known world, this empire that was prior to the great Babylonian empire that we will read about in the future, this is the beginning of the end. The, the army's wiped out and the king's killed. And so from this point on, it's just they begin to decline in power swiftly and we'll see that Babylon begins to rise, but not in Isaiah's lifetime. So as we pick up in now, or as we transition to chapter 38, this is interesting because the chronology here, it doesn't give us the exact chronological order. If you go to 2 Kings, I can't remember the chapter, but there toward the end of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you have the exact same stories in both the Kings and Chronicles because those, of course, are the history books. And now Isaiah is just telling us the history as well. But if you read those two, you get a little bit more insight into the details of what's happening. I'll mention some of that as we go through here. But what we need to understand is what we're going to read about now, this sickness of Hezekiah. This happens before uh, Sennacherib is conquered. This happens during the siege of Jerusalem. So, I mean, talk about difficult, difficult moments because not only are they being threatened by this great world power, but now the king that they're trusting in, he's sick. And we learn that from the other accounts that it was uh, during that sickness that all of this was going on. So in those days, Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, came and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Set your house in order for you are about to die. You will not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, please remember 
how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, go and tell Hezekiah. This is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Look, I am going to add 15 years to your life. And I will rescue you in this city from the grasp of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the sign to you from the Lord that he will do what he has promised. I am going to make the sun's shadow go down on the stairway of Ahaz, go back 10 degrees or 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back the 10 steps it had descended. So again, look at how difficult the situation is. Sennacherib is is right there. He's making his move toward conquering Jerusalem and the king, the one who's leading the nation, the one who is trusting God. Hezekiah was a good king and he was one who trusted the Lord, but now he's terminally ill. He's going to die. And I mean, talk about darkness that would have descended on the people. What would they have been thinking? They undoubtedly would have been thinking, this is the end. It's over. But as Hezekiah cries out to the Lord, God has mercy. And he not only heals Hezekiah, but he also makes the promise, I'm going to deliver you from the Assyrians. So he, he kind of gets everything all at once. He gets healed of a terminal illness and he sees the, the defeat of the Assyrian army. So you just see how beautifully God comes through for him. And again, you know, let's just remember that these stories, they're true stories and they're a history of what happened, but they're also a prophecy and a promise of what will happen, what can happen for those who trust God in the future, in the days ahead, like we referred to that passage in Romans earlier. That's why these stories are here. They're here so that we can have hope through the scriptures. We read these stories and we think, wow, Lord, you did that in those days for your people. God, do that in our day for us. We can pray that and we can have confidence that God is going to work. And so a poem by King Hezekiah of Judah after he had been sick and had recovered from his illness. And so here in verse 10, we have the poem, I said in my prime of life, I must go to the gates of Sheol. Sheol is another term for the grave. I am deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I will never see the Lord in the land of the living. I will not look on humanity any longer with the inhabitants of what is passing away. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. He's just giving all these illustrations, a shepherd's tent. They pull out the stakes and they move it on. Uh, I have rolled up my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. And so picture a loom and, you know, the, the thread. And then suddenly he snips the thread and that's the end of it. By nightfall, you make an end of me. I thought until the morning, he will break all my bones like a lion. By nightfall, you make an end of me. I chirp like a swallow or a crane. I moan like a dove. My eyes grow weak. Looking upward, Lord, I am oppressed. Support me. What can I say? He has spoken to me and he himself has done it. 
I will walk slowly all my years. So he now in this 15th verse in this poem, the first part of it, he's talking about the distress he was in at, you know, the fear of dying. But now when he comes to verse 15, he's going to start describing his reaction to the healing. So this is what he says. He says, I will walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. What he, what he means by that is I'm going to walk slowly, carefully, contemplatively. In other words, Hezekiah is saying, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember this time and the bitterness of soul that I had during this time. I'm not going to forget. In other words, I'm not going to forget the deliverance of God. I'm not going to forget how he rescued me out of such a deep, deep pit. That's what he's saying. And it's interesting, though, that he says this because, you know, it is true that sometimes we can experience a great deliverance from the Lord, and yet later down the road, we forget. We forget how great that deliverance was. But Hezekiah says, I'm not going to forget. I'm going to walk slowly. I'm going to walk contemplatively. I'm going to remember this. That's really what he's talking about here. Because of the bitterness of my soul, Lord, by such things people live. And in every one of them, my spirit finds life. In such things people live. As he goes on in life, he's going to remember this moment. He's going to remember what God did for him. This, these are the things that he's going to cherish in his heart. That's what he's talking about here. You have restored me to health and let me live. Indeed, it was for my own well-being that I had such intense bitterness but your love has delivered me from the pit of destruction for you have thrown all my sins behind your back notice what he says in verse 17 indeed it was for my own well-being that i had such intense bitterness for my own well-being hezekiah he says this was for my good you know it reminds me of what david penned in the 119th psalm a couple of times he said on one occasion he said it was good that I was afflicted, for then I learned your statutes. It was, uh, it was good that I was afflicted, David said. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And Hezekiah is saying really the same thing. For my own well-being, for my future well-being, this was good for me to have that bitterness, to have that fear, to have that moment of thinking that it, it's over. Hezekiah, looking back, he says, this was good. This was good for me. This was healthy. And, you know, over the years, I've had battles with illness and things of that nature. And although they were really difficult and challenging times, I, I look back and I realize, well, those things were good for me. Even though at the time, they didn't seem good for me. Not in the least. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. You know, when you become a Christian, you learn a whole new set of words. Words like grace and fellowship and holiness and righteousness and salvation. Words that we don't normally use in everyday conversation. But you know, these words 
are not just words, but they are full of significance. And there is a ton of theology packed into these words. And recently, there have been a number of books written that are exploring in depth these types of words that we find in the Bible. And one book that I found helpful is by Nijay Gupta, and it's entitled 15 New Testament Words of Life. This is a great little book. It's going to shed some amazing light on some of the deeper meaning of these words and their biblical and theological context. And I highly recommend Nijay Gupta, 15 New Testament Words of Life. Again, this month's resource is a book titled 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. You can order the book 15 New Testament Words of Life by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book 15 New Testament Words of Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.